How's it going? I'm Xander Fryer, just another millennial corporate dropout turned entrepreneur. Since quitting my day job as an engineer just over four years ago, I built a multi-million dollar coaching business, mentoring seven-figure business owners, professional athletes, award-winning musicians, Hollywood actors, best-selling authors, and hundreds of aspiring entrepreneurs. I truly believe that when we couple the right knowledge with a strong desire for action, anything is possible. But most of us are never given the right knowledge, the shit you don't learn in college. The Sidlik Podcast shares interviews from the world's most successful people in business, finance, sports, health, and entertainment in order to help you live a life filled with more money, more meaning, and more freedom than you ever thought possible. Get ready to learn the shit you don't learn in college. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Xander Fryer here, and welcome back to another episode of Shit You Don't Learn in College. Today, we've got my new friend Dana Cornell on the show. Now, Dana is a certified investment management analyst and certified financial planner whose passion is to take the uncertainty out of investing and provide consistent returns his clients can count on. Dana has over 20 years of experience in the financial industry, and Cornell Capital was born out of a need to recognize, uh, to truly create consistent, predictable income and wealth creation that most financial institutions cannot handle. He's a number one bestseller, creator of the reverse financial plan, and three times Forbes America's top next-gen wealth advisor. So in this episode, we're going to dig into how wealth has been built in the U.S. for centuries, and it'll never stop happening. We're going to talk about the best ways to invest in things like real estate and private equity, how to create financial freedom and passive income, and the major shift between being in a nine-to-five and true entrepreneurship. And don't forget, we only spread our message when you share this knowledge with others that need it. So if you enjoy this episode, please share it on your social and tag at Xander Fryer. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and give us a five-star rating so you don't miss any other great episodes. And for all of our shit you don't learn in college fans out there, if you've gotten any value from this podcast, don't forget to go to www.sidlickbook.com to grab your copy of the number one bestseller, Shit You Don't Learn in College, available now. Hey, 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 how's it going, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Shit You Don't Learn in College. I'm here with my new friend, Dana Cornell, who is the founder of uh, Cornell Capital Holdings. Now, Dana, I'd love to just start off by giving everybody a little bit of a rundown how you got to where you are right now. I know you and I were kind of chatting before we started recording. Uh, you used to work for Morgan Stanley, then you left to do your own thing. People thought you were going crazy, offered you mental health counseling. Uh, talk talk to me a little bit about how you became an entrepreneur and and really wanted to focus on helping people build true wealth. Absolutely, and thanks for having me on again, man. I've been following your stuff here recently. Our our stories certainly resonate in a lot of ways. Um, so happy to share my story. Yeah. So I, and to your point of the the shit they don't teach you in college, right? I think if I look back, a lot of that is you know almost the limiting beliefs they put on us yeah. to kind of fit into a crowd and fit into a box. Um, took me a while to figure that out, but I finally did. Who, who do you so think, who do you think track, they are, by the way? Man, I'll tell you what. I've thought a lot about this stuff. I think, you know. I'm glad I, I asked this question to, then. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, we can go deep on this one. So, you know, I think it's your peers. I think it's your parents. I think it's whoever's surrounding you that shapes the influence of who you become as a person, right? That's what you know. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not like it's example. not like your parents and your friends don't love you, right? No, but 
you can only do the best you can with the information you have at that point in time. Yeah. That's how I, how I look at it. Yeah. Right. Um, a lot of people just don't push their boundaries. Right. I think it does take and sometimes a special personality, a little bit, of, a little naturally. bit of crazy maybe. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit, <laughs> unless you have like, uh, I don't know, like a dad, like Tiger Woods, who's doing it for you. Yeah. Right. Or something like that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I think it takes a certain entrepreneurial mindset, if nothing else. Otherwise, you know, you stay in your lane. And if you think you're outside the box, maybe you just go to school a little bit longer to become a doctor or something yeah. that's perceived as more successful when, honestly, in hindsight, if I knew what I know now, I would have never even went to college. Yeah. So so, so you did, obviously, you like many of us, like myself included, we we gave into the the peer programming, the parental programming, the school programming, and we followed that path. We went to school. I went down the engineering path. You clearly went down the finance path. Um, yep. So, so tell me how you got to the point of of being like, "Nah, I got to get out of this." Yeah. So I'll give you the whole story real quick. So went to school, came out, uh, degree in finance and pre law. Uh, again, kind of following that programming, right? Yep. I chose finance because I don't come, my family was excellent. They taught me how to work hard. My dad's a contractor. My mom was a kindergarten teacher, um, middle class. But, you know, we didn't have wealth. So going to law school versus starting in finance, finance was the cheaper option. So I deferred my enrollment in law school for a year, started at a financial firm called Edward Jones Investments. Great firm to start at. Uh, the beauty of what they do is they make you go out and knock on doors. So yeah. I'm south of Buffalo, New York. I'm 23 years old. I don't know any better. Thank God at the time. I've got long johns on under my suit, spiky hair back then, uh, knocking on doors, man. So I knocked on 1,800 doors wow. and built a skill set to really kind of drill down and, and learn what people, you know, how to find their pain points and how to add value to them and, you know, build relationships that way. That's, I think, the biggest thing that set me on this path. Yeah. So. From there, was only there a short period of time, got recruited to go to what was then a firm called Smith Barney, turned into Morgan Stanley, um, grew a book of business there on my own, was able to buy a few people out as they kind of retired, that type of thing. Um, <clears throat> you know, when you start right out of college, I had a good 15, 16 years in before I, you know, COVID hit. I had been thinking about, you know, what is my life really about? Yeah. Where is this taking me? Um, we could do a whole other episode of my thoughts on wealth management and the firms that kind of dictate how people are driven to invest these days, yeah. which is certainly focused on the firm and their shareholders and not the individual investor. Throw two little kids in the mix. Then I got two boys, uh, two and one turns four this week. So, you know, that shifts your priorities, man. So I didn't want to work that hard. Yeah. I had been fortunate, you know, executive director at just under 40 years old and Forbes recognitions, all that crazy stuff um, that loses its popularity in your own mind pretty quick when, when those little guys when you're, show when up. You're, yeah. So, when you're, when you're missing out on time with your kids. And I think, yeah, you know, man, I, I it's, think it's a whole, there's, there's one thing that I think, you know, I've been, I've been kind of talking to a lot of people about there. There's one thing that I, I have noticed that I think is kind of a blessing from COVID is it's actually forced a lot of people to really take a deeper look at what they're doing, how they're doing it, where they're spending their time, where they're spending their energy and their focus. And 
you know, it sounds like that was the big thing for you. It's, it just kind of forced you to take a look at like, man, where am I, what am I doing? Where am I spending my time? Cause I could, you could just, you could very easily keep going down that path forever. And a lot of people do. I was, I was very comfortable living in a town of 14,000 people at, at that level of success in that type of firm. I can certainly say that. Yeah. Um, but you're, you're right, man. I mean, honestly, as bad as COVID was, um, for everyone, it also was perfect timing for me because I was really struggling with where do I fit in? Is this the right thing for me and my family? I'm working more now, but I also had a lot of loyalty to my partners yeah. there and my clients. And, you know, so it was a hard decision. Um, so I just remember sitting at my kitchen table when we had closed our office and I'm taking rapid fire phone calls from clients, not knowing what's going on and concerned about markets and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I'm giving them very generic general advice because that's how that world is built and i just had enough yeah um so i started investing in private real estate syndication deals myself outside of the firm saw the advantages of that really started to drill down on what were my wealthiest clients doing yeah and i figured out quite simple right and we talked a bit about this how truly wealth was made in this country it's either by owning commercial real estate or a small business. So, and that was the profile of my biggest clients. So I just said, let me just spin out. Let me free up my time. Let me do something that I could niche down and be very focused in that um, for a specific person that's looking for passive income appreciation, but backed by a physical asset that you can see and touch and understand with tax benefits. Yeah. Everything all my clients were asking for, I just didn't have in my opinion, the most efficient vehicle to give it to. And, and, the, so, and these, these are the things that while you were working in, in you know, a, a bigger company, you weren't able to provide for them. You weren't able to provide these answers yet. You could go back and you could see the history of the U.S. was built, wealth was built on these two tools. 100%. I mean, uh, what's the documentary, How America Was, was Made, yeah. right, on Netflix or How America Was Built? Go watch that again. It's, yeah. All of the names that you still see on all the biggest buildings, they owned all the real estate and they owned a large private business. So, and small business drives our economy today. So, let's, right? so why not invest in those two? Yeah, let's, let's talk about those two things. Cause I think that's, you know, that's really interesting in the, in the, you know, the modern economy, modern economy with everything going on, we've got, uh, you know, all these different opportunities. You can go, you know, you can go old school, you can go stocks and bonds. You can go, like you mentioned, private equity, we can do real estate. You can start to get into Web 3.0. You can do NFTs and crypto and all that fancy, crazy stuff. So, oh. so let's talk about you know the the big two that were you know like you mentioned, the U.S. has really been built on. Uh, why real estate and why private equity? Let's talk through them both. Let's maybe let's start with real estate. Yeah. So you know, for me, there's um, and when you say real estate, you have to be a little more um, yeah. refined by what that means, at least to me. Yeah. So. You, you know, could, Morgan you could Stanley, be single family offer, homes, you could do a real estate fund, you could do commercial property, you could do all sorts of different stuff. Yeah, so you're, you can diversify by type of real estate, by asset class, by structure of how you own it. Um, for the sake of our time constraints, I'll just kind of tell you where I found the best. And I've, you know, I've invested in all of it. I yeah. built that business on being different, right? I was the young guy. I couldn't just be your stock and bond provider. Everyone of wealth had that guy for 30 years before I showed up. Yeah. So I leveraged alternative investments and I believe in a balance there, but I also believe 
sincerely on direct ownership of an asset. Yeah. Right. And not three to four layers of fees between you and that that particular product, whatever that may be, whether it's a multifamily apartment complex, we do a lot of self-storage um, or single family homes, you name it, right? And those all ebb and flow. They're different market cycles for different types of real estate. And that's what our job is, is to make sure we're in the right spot at the right time and it's a good value, Yeah. right? I mean, I think you can even relate that to stocks, right? People now buy the masses, they buy the market. You can always find a good company yeah, with with a with a good business plan at a good value. The same thing in real estate. Um, when you're trying to buy the market as a whole, that's a whole different beast. It's a whole different strategy, right? And people need to kind of separate that in their minds. I think that's a big thing that gets people in trouble across the board. So, anyways, to get back to your question, you know, real estate, commercial real estate, you get paid in multiple ways. Yeah, you get current income, you get tax advantages. You get appreciation of the asset. You know, the list goes on, right? And people can inherently understand it. They can see it. It's physical. It's there. It's in front of you. <clears throat> the biggest issue I had dealing with my book of business at Morgan Stanley was over $1.4 when I left. Um, a lot of households made up that $1.4 but, um, you know, people's concerns, whether they were a $100 million client or a million dollar client were the same, right? The confusion and the complexity that that industry has created for people. To me, it's crazy even being on that side. Yeah. Like, hey, I want to retire someday. Therefore, I have to save this pile of money to somehow create an income stream that, oh, by the way, if I'm a business owner, I could control before that. Yeah. And I have to inherently trust you, but you tell me the same story of how you do it as the guy at Merrill Lynch or UBS or another Morgan Stanley advisor, so on and so forth. So then it's just, do you like that person or not? Yeah. Right. What's their credibility, that type of stuff. Um, to me, I'd rather let the, the math of it tell the story. Yep. Right. And let you understand and build your confidence with it. That way, if you're confident with it, you're just going to like me more anyways. So it makes my job easier. Right. Yeah. So that's how real estate fits in. Great. So let's talk about private equity then. Why why private equity? Why is that important in this in this structure? Yeah. You know, I'll tell you, we did a lot of private equity at Morgan Stanley. Again, different. It was in a fun structure. Um, I found, I bet a lot on the jockey, mm -hmm. right? I'm doing a ton of due diligence on the developer, whether it's real estate or the operator of the business. To go into private equity, you see baby boomers, the biggest generation in history retiring yeah. that built the most amount of wealth in our country through small businesses. They grew a business, they built their widget for 30, 40 years, whatever it may be, right? But maybe they weren't the best at marketing or the best at sales or the best at operations, you name yeah. it, all or whatever. So there's this huge transition of businesses. And I saw it in my clients in the wealth management side of yeah. things when I manage as a true financial planner, which I am, all of these great businesses, but weren't prepared to sell. And this lost opportunity that created large amounts of income, just either dissipate or get sold for essentially nothing, yeah. whatever that may be. So I found two excellent partners that have done that business model for a living. They go in, they have a very specific buy box. They're buying businesses, one to 5 million in revenue, net revenue, 
and they know they can bring sales operations marketing to these companies, professionalize them, ramp up the revenue by two or three times of what it's already cash flowing. Yeah. Right. So this is not a new business. It's a business that's at least making minimum 20% net profit margin to begin with. Yep. So there's your passive income out of the gate. Now we just double or triple that and then sell it at a multiple, meaning you sell it for four or five times that revenue. Yeah. So you're getting all the same advantages, just a higher upside appreciation. So when you compare that and contrast it, build a portfolio of private equity, private real estate, it's a pretty strong portfolio. It's pretty hard to beat it in a traditional investing situation where I came from. Yeah. And essentially, essentially at that point, right, it's almost like you're, you're getting to build a business without having to build the business because you're investing in people that yeah. already know how to build businesses and it's a repeatable model almost. Right. I'll give you an example <laughs> of one we, we just took, took to my, we're about to take it to my investor database. Um, <clears throat> company that's uh, essentially a software company run by one person. Usually we like a bigger team, but this one's pretty much plug and play. There's not a lot of day-to-day -day operations. They've made, you know, about $400,000 a year. And this is a small example, but it's, I think it's a good one, right? Cause it's just not a lot of moving parts. They've made the same amount of money for 10 years. Yeah. Haven't raised prices, haven't hired anybody, hasn't kept up. They're so below market price on what they do. It's, it's mind blowing. Yeah. But we asked the owner, why haven't you raised prices? And his answer was, if it's not broke, why fix it? Yeah. He's comfortable what he's making, you know? So for a small investment, you can own a piece of that business that's been in business 30 years, wasn't affected by COVID at all. Right? In fact, it went up during COVID. Yeah. There's 10 different strategies they've identified to, to double, triple that, that revenue in the next 12 to 24 months. And we'll sell it in about three years. Yeah. Right. And those are, you know, high teens to high 20% annualized rates of return. It's not for all of your money. It's not for everything, but it certainly has a place in everybody's portfolio. Well, I think, I think that's important. I think a lot of people, you know, a lot of people forget, just like you mentioned, like when you can get compound interest and returns of double digit returns, you know, years on years, that's really how long-term generational wealth is, is actually built. It's not the... You know, it's not the necessarily the people that are trying to 10x their their money by betting on the yeah. on the when this happens now sometimes, but betting on the right unicorn crypto. It's you know continuous growth at a at a good reasonable rate, right? Hundred percent. You know, people ask me all the time, how did the the ultra wealthy get there? How did they how did they make that happen? Or how did why do they make more than most? Yeah. Right. It's that <clears throat> right. They own private investments. Their, their publicly traded portfolios are typically very small. Don't get me wrong. Dollar cost averaging, stocks and bonds, the traditional wealth management can get you rich over a period of time. Yeah. But private equity, private real estate, that gets you wealthy. Would you, Not just you, likely generational wealth. What? How much does somebody have to have to invest with you? Do they have to have a certain level of wealth already? Um, so, Yeah. It's a good question. So by by just by definition, these are private investments. Yeah. So typically they're reserved for accredited investors. Mm -hmm. um, usually what I'm trying to do just to build confidence and credibility with new investors in, oftentimes first projects, first investors can come in at as low as $100,000 per investment. 
And we work through your situation, make sure, you know, this is the right type of investment for you. You understand all of the risk, the timelines, the illiquidity, that type of thing. Um, and obviously we're trying to, to diversify you over the course of the year in multiple types of investments in each category, diversified by geography, type of asset class, industry, so on and so forth. Yeah. What would you say, what would you say to people that might not have a uh, hundred thousand dollars lying around and, uh, you know, have that kind of liquidity ready to invest? What, how would you recommend to somebody to start to get started and actually, you know, producing some income or producing some, some, uh, savings so they can actually get to this point? Yeah. And, you know, I'll tell you, I, I refer people all the time. There's plenty of, um, online sites that offer a similar structure right? It's a little bit watered down product, but it's a very similar structure. If I were in that spot, just trying to get started, I mean, you can invest in some of those for as little as a thousand dollars, right? But I would say to anyone, right? Stockpile cash, make sure you're financially comfortable if something happens to you. Very traditional advice. Yeah. But then from there, create revenue streams. Yeah. When you say, when you say stockpile cash, is there a certain amount that you say you need to, you need to have for you to be quote unquote comfortable. Yeah, everybody's a little different. Um, Minimum three months cash, six months. Most people are pretty comfortable. Yeah. You know, the sky fell and you're unemployed and your mainstream of income. Um, You also get a little different advice from me. People say create as many streams of income as you can. Yeah. In my opinion, I've seen that just spread people out. Yeah. I'd say create three to five max and go very deep on those and make sure they're as solid as they possibly can. And they're going to produce money for you um, for years. Yeah. Right. Not something like, a, you know, a startup business or something that you don't have a lot of control over. Yeah. I love that. Um, so in terms of, in terms of passive income, cause it sounds like both of these investments, both of these investments are more about kind of some of the, some of it's a little bit illiquid in terms of passive income. Do you have any recommendations for anybody? Yeah. I mean, essentially that both of those are why I created that. Yeah. Right. So my, my whole philosophy, and we probably should have talked about this in the beginning and yeah, let's, let's dig into that. (laughs) Cut me off. Right. But here's, here's my whole thought process on this when I was really sitting there, um, contemplating what I was going to do. Yeah. Right. So people go and, and they play that game of saving this pile of money. So they someday can create this income stream. Yeah. Right. They don't know how much they need to save. They, they don't know how the income is created. They don't know where it comes from all of the time. So why my, my whole thought was, let me buy your time back now. Why are we waiting to have growth create this income that you need now when there's, there's opportunities available to people that can create income now? And so we reverse your financial plan. Yeah. Right. This is what I talk to my, my clients about nonstop. Right. So in the traditional sense, you go to a financial planner, they say, okay, you've got whatever, a million dollars, $10 million. All right, well, let's knock that down and we'll count 80% of your total assets. So you've got a cushion. And from there, we're going to be able to consistently pull 4% if we're conservative. And we'll assume the markets are going to make five and a half percent over time. And you're going to rise a little bit for inflation and there's your income. When I started investing in real estate personally, I'm getting seven to ten percent of passive income. Yeah. With tax benefits. Yep. So, you know, you had the tax benefits in, that's a easily a you know, equivalent of a ten percent 
rate of return all day long just on the income. Not even including appreciation. Not even including appreciation. So when I show people a comparison of, hey, give me your financial plan, the same plan I used to do for my clients and wholeheartedly believed it was the best way. And then I show you, I can give you the same or more income take home with 30% of your assets using my strategies yeah. as I used to use myself. I'm not knocking financial planners. I'm, I am one, yeah. right? I just see it differently now. I've seen the light. Um, so for 30% of your assets, I can give you the same income or more tax efficiently as I would on 80 or 100% of your assets in my previous yeah. position. That takes all of the pressure off the rest of your money. Yeah, because it's gonna right? it's gonna grow itself almost. The comfort and uh, the lack of confusion then kind of dissipates. Yeah, and you just see people relax and know that they can count on that, and they understand where it's coming from. That's a whole different game plan. Love it, man. So first we get you financially free, then we get you to the lifestyle and level that you want to be at. Not that you have to be at. That's great. Speaking does that make sense? Yeah. Speaking of that, you know, obviously, uh, this is a question that I love asking people, especially when we're talking money and and wealth. Um, you know, obviously, you left Morgan Stanley to spend some more time with your kids. So clearly, it's not just about you know being successful and making money. Uh, how would you define success in your life? <clears throat> so I think success. And again, I like to model people I believe are successful. Um, and I have a personal coach. I believe in a lot of that, right? And we, he and I talk about this a lot, right? But if you have the freedom, the financial freedom to spend the time with who you want, when you want to do it, where you want to do it, and then be able to contribute however you want, those are essentially the five freedoms of life. And my, my opinion is taught to me by my coach, guy named Trevor McGregor, who's just unbelievable resource for me, right? So if you can, you can obtain those five freedoms in your life, not have to worry about how to create that. That's, that's true freedom. Yeah. I love that. So I want to talk to you a little bit about your transition to entrepreneurship. Uh, Cause I think, I think that's something that I love hearing from people on, I think is really, really helpful for a lot of people. Um, you know, so when you did decide to go full force into, into building your own firm and, and, uh, starting this up, uh, what were some of the biggest obstacles that you had to face? Maybe, maybe tactical or strategic and also maybe personal that you had to face when you were going through it. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, to me, the biggest is the mental hurdles you have to get over. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think anybody can look back in their life and remember a time where they didn't think they could pull something off or something wasn't going to work out and they surprised themselves yeah. and it did. Right? <laughs> um, you know, as Tony Robbins say, the greatest resource is resourcefulness. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's entrepreneurship 101, right? You have to figure everything out. That was the difference for me. I came from a world that I was just, you know, I, I did my thing. And you were, you were handed else. the best practice and the SOP and All that you stuff. just followed those yep. things. Yep. Yeah. Staff, the procedures, the policies, the operations, all of that stuff. Right. So that was a big shift for me of, oh, wait, I don't just have to go help people. I have to actually make sure I'm running this business so I can be here to help these people. Um, and I accomplished that in two ways. I found people that I really, really trust and we're very good in those skill sets that complemented me. I am not the operations guy. Yeah. 
I'm just not that side of a business, right? So uh, I was fortunate to find people to fill those gaps, um, you know, and we just kind of get resourceful and you always have a new hurdle to get over and it's the same hurdle a lot of times, but it's just bigger and higher to jump over. But um, you got to keep pushing, man. So uh, I'll, I'll summarize that by it's the same thing a mentor of mine told me when I started in, in the financial services business. I do believe it's true for entrepreneurialism if you do it right. He said, you're going to work the first five years like nobody wants to, to live the rest of your career like everybody wishes they could. Yeah. You know, I think that's very true in a lot of cases. I, I love that. And I think that's really important too, because especially with social media now, like we see so much fluff online about like, you know, the, the highlight reel basically of entrepreneurship and you don't get to see a lot of the behind the scenes and it really is, it's a fight for, for years. It's a real fight um, until you really get to live the life that you, you truly want to live. It doesn't mean it's not fun and it's not worth it and it's not fulfilling. It is, but it's, it's a lot of work. <laughs> not for the faint of heart. Not, that's not for, sure, for the faint of heart. That's for sure. um, so you, you mentioned, you mentioned that obviously when you were growing up, you had a lot of peers uh, and a lot of uh, your, your parents and school and everything caused a lot of programming for you. If you were to help program your two kids with just one thing that you knew that they would be programmed with this one belief or one way of doing things, what, what would you want that to be for them? I try and teach those kids even now to <clears throat> challenge themselves to think bigger. Yeah. You know, in every way, right? Ask, ask yourself why all the time. I'm always asking myself why. Why is it that way? Why do they say that? Why do I do this this way? Um, if you can constantly learn and be curious about life and business and everything else and look for other examples and um, broaden your perspective, yeah, you're probably going to be okay in life. Yeah, I'm, I'm really grateful that you brought that up. That's actually one of the things we talk about is the, the long lost art of critical thought asking why yeah. and questioning why. And I have a, uh, my godson is, is five years old. And the other day he was coming over and he was just asking why, why, why? And I, I told his dad and I was like, he's going to be a winner in life. Yeah, for sure. I man. love that. For Beautiful sure. man. This is, this yep. has been really rock solid. I think our audience is going to get a ton from this Dana. Where can more people learn about you, about, um, Cornell capital holdings, everything that you guys are doing? Yeah, I appreciate that. You can find all of my social media handles, um, link to my book, link to Cornell Capital Holdings, which is just Cornell Capital Holdings with an S.com. But if you just go to my name, Dana, D-A-N-A, Cornell, just like the college.com, uh, everything's right on there for you. So pretty easy to find. Dana, thanks for having me on, man. This has been fun. Absolutely, man. Thanks for showing up. And for all of our shit you don't learn college fans out there, if you've gotten any value from this podcast, don't forget to go to www.sidlickbook.com. That's S-Y-D-L-I-C book.com to grab your copy of the new number one bestseller, Shit You Don't Learn in College, available now. Dana, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Talk soon. All right, that's all we have for today, folks. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Shit You Don't Learn in College. And if you did, please share this episode on your social media and tag at Xander Fryer. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and give us a five-star rating so you don't miss any other great episodes. We can only spread our message when you share this knowledge with the others that need it. So we really appreciate the support. Thanks a ton.